IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. I'd like to introduce my guest to this part of the program. He is Jonathan Katzenellenbergen, and Jonathan is a Johannesburg-based freelance financial journalist. His articles have appeared on Defence Web, Politics Web, as, as well as The Daily Friend, as well as in a number of overseas publications. Uh, Jonathan has also worked on Business Day as a TV and radio reporter and news reader. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to have you. I think we had you on quite a while ago, so it's nice to have you back at Chai. The reason I wanted to talk to you was that you wrote an article for us last week about uh, ESCOM being in a desperate state. Now, that's probably not news, but it gained a huge amount of traction, and I think it... I was inclined to look at what you had to say about the subject and look at p- potential ways of dealing with it, as well as other constraints that you may that may not have been considered in your article. You start off by saying that there is little hope that South Africa will have a secure and reliable electricity p- supply for years, and yet there seems to be little urgency from government. Jonathan, why do you say we are unlikely to have a reliable supply for years and uh, any ideas as to why there's very little urgency from government? Well, the basic reason we're not going to have this for years is that, um, and ESCOM says it um, itself, within 13 years, they have to replace well over half of their existing generation capacity. And their plan is to do this with solar and renewables. And um, they've got off to a very slow start. Government has not given the permission, the licensing and the environmental um, ap- approvals and so forth for the private sector, um, independent power producers, as they're called, to come in and start their projects. So there are no projects that have been opened up under what they call the most recent bid uh, window to actually start. So these projects are coming on stream extremely slowly. What they did do, government, is that they lifted the restriction on the amount um, that a private project, independent power producer, could contribute to the grid. Instead of 50 megawatts, they lifted the cap to 100 megawatts. But even if there are 100 megawatts, many people are going to take up this opportunity. But government is very slow. And then there's the additional problem is that um, it's often not technically feasible feasible in, in parts of the country um, for them to connect to the grid yet. So they've got to make those changes. One advantage of solar projects is that they can be brought from inception to production very quickly in 18 months or so. Clearly, it Mm -hmm. depends on their scale and the complexity and so forth. But even if these are brought on, there's no guarantee that they will be able to make up for the gap that we we have at the moment and make up and replace those megawatts and capacity that are being taken out of production because of the uh, one, because of the slowness. And I think many private investors might be reticent to to come on board because Mm. of the precarious state of ESCOM. Under the deal, you have to sell to uh, ESCOM at a guaranteed price. It's a good price. It's an economic price. But I think with the investment climate, many might be slightly scared. Many investors who might come in might not, might not come in. 
Plus, there are the um, empowerment considerations as well. And things just don't get off to a quick start in South Africa. ESCOM is probably bedeviled by a lot of other major state industries in this country oh, and in, probably industry in general because of the uh, slow responses from government regulation. But as I understand it with renewables, you do have the problem that, and this is something that doesn't look like it's going to be resolved worldwide anytime soon, that the renewables are unreliable energy in the sense that they do depend on the sun shining and the wind blowing. And as yet, we don't have the means by which we can harness and store that energy for when we would need it, as opposed to when it would be produced. I, you know, that has been a problem. It is not as big a problem as it once was. Okay. Um, I know that my colleague Andrew Kenny makes this case um, a great deal. But um, to take one example, um, Elon, South Australia has had this um, terrible electricity supply interruption. But um, Elon Musk has come and saved the day. And he's uh, established a mammoth battery park uh, near Adelaide. And they haven't had any cutoffs, apparently. I read about it the other day. Battery technology will improve. And in five years or so, the situation will have improved. It's not a case that you don't have the technology. It can be more expensive at, uh, currently, but there are technological advances in batteries that will afford this. And there are other ways of, of, doing the, of overcoming the storage problem. One is to invest more heavily than you otherwise would have in uh, renewables. So you have a mixture of wind and solar. And, uh, you know, if, if the sun's not shining, the wind might still be howling. So, uh, but, you, you know, you will have to do it at a, um, you will have to bring on, uh, invest in greater capacity than you would have otherwise without that storage capacity. But there's no doubt about it that this, this problem is being solved. And it's not the problem it once was. So you could have a great deal of dispatchable energy. And currently, if you did have a lot of solar and uh, renewables come on stream, you know, you, would, you wouldn't have such uh, bad load shedding. And another reason for extreme problems at the moment, you know, we're going from this is going to be one of the, the worst years so far in terms of uh, power cuts. And one of the reasons is that of is that the number of breakdowns, they haven't been doing their maintenance to keep their power stations online. They're having to do more maintenance than they would, but they're having to um, delay this, the big maintenance. So they want to keep the, the power stations going in winter, and therefore they've got to delay much winter um, maintenance, and mm -hmm. therefore they have uh, breakdowns, and therefore... Um, much um, of the power cuts are currently unplanned rather than due to maintenance. Mm. And at the moment, they only have a ESCOM only has a 60% availability factor, which is yeah. very low, and it's, it's indeed dangerously low. As I recall, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Andre Dureta, the CEO of ESCOM, indicated that one of the problems with repair and maintenance is that they've been going through the process of that money be made available by Treasury on an urgent basis, because that's 
on the one hand, and it's not coming through quickly enough. And on the other hand, and, and this goes perhaps to the the middlemen and and the black economic empowerment factors that 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 have an effect on it, is that they can't. They they're tied in. They've been tied into contracts that uh, require sort of bulk purchase, and it's it's. What they really need is to be able to purchase quickly specific items uh, that are needed to repair or maintain a plant or, or a couple of plants. And so it's this combination of receiving, being approved the money from Treasury and not having the flexibility to get what they want when they need it. And that seems to be classical government approach to what's hindering ESCOM, which is, in the light of the crisis we're in, seems extraordinary. Yes, um, uh, Andre Dureta made these six suggestions, which haven't been fully accepted by government, and that was um, uh, among them. Government just is not approaching this with sufficient urgency. You know, it seems to be all stuck in committee. That is another problem. Uh, you know, it's been bad planning from the start. You know, it's not as though they haven't had due warning of pending mm. um, need for load shedding. It was clear back in, two th- indeed, in the late 1990s, but they didn't get going and they delayed the two large projects, Cassilia and Madupi. Uh, they came on stream late and, they, and even today they're not fully on stream. And indeed, one of the, the generators at Madupi exploded because of operate error. It seems mm. to be a catalogue of failures that um, um, we're, ex- we're experiencing. Somebody observed to me that that, uh, the, and, and this is a, a little cheeky, but that socialist uh, governments eventually become very autocratic at the point at which they realize they actually cannot do what they set out to do. They do not know how or they don't have the skills. I'm not quite sure what it is. And that's when um, your politics is likely to become uh, more repressive. From the point of view of looking at your article, you say that ESCOM does not have the balance sheet or the borrowing power or the project management expertise to come up with plans for the country's energy future. So might this not be a case of the government is now so overwhelmed by issues it doesn't know how to deal with it, putting it in committee and it's not dealing with it. That's one of the reasons they came up with the Independent Producers Programme, the mm-hmm. IPP programme, is because they realised they didn't have these sorts of skills. But now that delayed. As for its balance sheet, it has a great, ESCOM has a great deal of debt. It's around uh, 400 billion rand. They wouldn't be able to borrow for any major projects and they certainly couldn't um, a borrow for a, a coal power station, quite simply because the banks can't lend for that. Mm. Uh, Standard Bank says it's not going to lend for a coal uh, power project because of the environmental factors, and they all want to be green. And therefore, that's ruled out. But anyway, the additional problem is the much of the project management experience for the uh, for delivering uh, these sorts of mammoth projects it's left ESCOM they haven't had a build program in many years Mm. and I I doubt if they really have the project management expertise to go about um, uh, solar projects even you know their maintenance program is a disaster you know, I, I, one has to really question even their management of that. Well, I see this morning, I mean, we've heard of uh, of parts being stolen from uh, power plants, but uh, I think Daily Maverick this morning had an, an article on the extent to which uh, fuel, oil, petrol, has been stolen from Creel Power Station. It has the syndicates dealing with it, their staff that are part of the problem, and one of the sort of, it's been ongoing for a very long time, and one of the reasons is because the Waybridge 
uh, for trucks going into Creel is within the premises rather than without. Without going into all the detail, they can essentially get away with the weighing of the trucks indicates, would only indicate that they're going out with a load of oil. And these extraordinary, uh, the extraordinary extent of theft from a from an entity like ESCOM um, has to add to the concern about the ability of the entity to get a grip on the myriad of things affecting it. At last week's press conference, Dereta um, gave examples of all of this. And um, there's oil, there's diesel theft on a massive, massive scale, billions of uh, rand. Parts theft, which runs into the um, uh, billions of rand. And a major problem, and this has been a problem for some time, is that um, coal loads are brought in. Mm. But in order to raise the weight of the coal, much of the coal is rocks or uh, metal. And this then goes into a furnace and often wrecks the furnace. So, Mm. you know, they they are really caught in a very difficult uh, place. They don't have adequate security. The corruption goes very deep. And Dereter admits this. Mm. You know, there's no secret about it. But it seems that they're just powerless to do anything about this. Well, that's exactly one one of the other complaints I think you you might mention is the fact that ESCOM is, is is often being run effectively by the ministries. Uh, the they interfere with board decisions and with the and, and with the running of the business. And uh, you can't impose from outside that sort of process, so particularly if you essentially bureaucrat. You you don't know how the how the, how the business really should operate. As a bureaucrat, you're you're saying um, you know BEMX um, percent um, of, of contracts have to be with BE entities. That probably You're restricting it in every way. So their freedom of action is very, very limited. And for major decisions on capital investment and other aspects, you have to go to the public public enterprises. And so public enterprises probably deliberate on it for a a long time. You know, they haven't gotten back to Dereta on those uh, six points that he believes are key uh, to improve ESCOM. I think he must have one of the worst... Uh, jobs in the country because of uh, the uh, daily interference, one suspects, from the Department of Public Enterprises. This ultimately leads us to wonder that if the government cannot make some, shall we say, relatively simple allowances or decisions to make basic maintenance more uh, effective, are we essentially sitting watching the government wait until literally the whole thing collapses? Uh, and sooner rather than later, and that when only when we've literally literally collapsed the grid, something might kick in. That even though it might obviously be too late for anything to kick in. Well, I think the direction of travel is is really bad. You know, the um, energy availability factor, which is the key indicator, just mm. has just been going south mm. uh, since uh, twenty eighteen. Um, you know, before then um, it yo-yoed a bit. But the overall direction of travel has been um, uh, for more and more uh, load shedding. There's no, you know, that that's all on uh, a, a record. You know, what will have to, and it's, uh, they're not going to be, you know, we're not going to have enough come uh, new sources come on on stream. They want 50,000 megawatts uh, new, mm. of new power to come on stream um, by 2030. 
and it's doubtful that that will uh, happen. We need, you know, a great deal now. You know, most many most utilities around the world would plan for, say, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 percent extra uh, capacity just in case so that they they can ensure that there are no power cuts getting worse and worse. So I don't know what government is going to do. They're stuck. They, of course, split um, ESCOM um, into three entities. That's uh, power generation um, uh, and uh, transmission. And I don't think that's going to solve the, the problem. They just don't have enough power generation and will not for some time. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they allow private entities to sell directly to a neighborhood. Say you have a mine and it, has, it uh, generates extra capacity or comes up with a solar project that generates extra capacity. You know, most factories, well, mines work 24 hours, but many factories, large manufacturing concerns, would have one shift and have a solar, um, uh, they could put solar on the roof and um, a battery. So during the night, they could perhaps share that out with the grid, in, at least in their area. So I just wonder if that's going to happen. Um, where, and whether they allow it by law or not, it just might happen. You know, your neighbor buys a generator and he says, let's share costs and you can mm. get to my generator. When we drill down, our general feeling has been that um, what prevents the government from doing anything sensible, particularly with the private sector, is ideology. In other words, this commitment to to uh, the national democratic revolution through, social, through socialism to to communism. Um, the tr- um, um, uh, one of the myriad of tra- tragedies about that, and I'd be interested in your comment, is the fact that if the private sector is allowed and given the space and is urgently allowed to develop the the uh, system or the, the, the energy production or the energy distribution that we need, no one is going to pay any attention to whether the private sector has done it or not. It will always be kudos to the to the government for for the for the energy being provided. It's 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 not going to it's not going to be a concern that X, Y, or Z company actually did the work. Um, am I looking at it too simplistically, or is this no, a no, huge I, I, failing of government? I, th- I think um, you've got it right, except that you're leaving out the factor of control. Mm. ESCOM is their largest state-owned enterprise. It's absolutely the mammoth. And the problem is, I think for the ANC, is that it's a matter of pride. It's a matter of control. So... Having all those ESCOM contracts to hand out in your pocket um, gives you a, a, a tremendous amount of uh, control. You know, people have to, the, the, uh, the providers of coal have to defer to you and so, and so forth and perhaps will contribute to the ANC to ensure that those contracts continue. So it creates this wider network of patronage, which I think is quite important. The irony will be that ultimately there may be nothing to provide for the government to provide two contractors and the middlemen to feed the patronage. And uh, therein, uh, you know, everyone, as everyone as a result, has lost. Jonathan, thank you very, very much for coming on to the program with me and uh, just delving into some of these issues a little differently and in, in a little more detail. Thank you very much. Pleasure.